Dear listener, Sairam and greetings from Prashanti Nilayam. Welcome to our radio program, Afternoon Satsang. This is a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live, hosted by Prem and Arvind at 12.30pm Indian Standard Time on Thursdays, only on Asia's stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony. The discussion is on Ramakatarasa Vahini, a book written by Swami, and today's episode was first broadcast live on 11th June 2015. Have a listen please. Sairam dear listeners and welcome to today's segment of Afternoon Satsang. We will be enjoying today the sweet nectar story of Lord Shri Rama as written by our Lord Bhagwan Sai Rama. As always we begin with prostrations at the lotus feet of our beloved Bhagwan and to Hanuman who is ever present wherever the Ramakatha is sung and as always we shall begin today's segment by listening to the sweet name of Rama so that every pore in our body, every cell in our body is saturated with this divine name which will ensure that we will be able to enjoy the story and learn many insights and lessons from the same. Sri Rama Rama Rame Di Rame Rame Manorame Sahasranamatatulyam Ramanamavaranane Blissful indeed it is to be able to recollect and remember the sweet name of Lord Rama, Sahasranama Tattulyam. It is said that the name of Lord Sri Rama is equivalent to taking the name of a thousand gods, Sahasranama. So, it is indeed a pleasure and privilege, dear listeners, that we are here today in continuation with the Ramakatha. Last week, both Prem and myself as we discussed this beautiful story, we had reached that point when the trio of Rama, Lakshmana and Sita enter the Dandakaranya forest as advised by sage Agastya. And even as they enter this Dandakaranya forest, they meet with Jatayu. Jatayu the eagle king who is a very close friend of their father Dasharatha. They convey to Jatayu the news of the passing of Dasharatha at which Jatayu is saddened but at the same time, Jatayu is very very happy to behold Lord Rama and Lakshmana, the sons of his dear friend. And since they are the sons, the children of his dear friend, Jatayu feels a fatherly affection towards Rama, Lakshmana and Sita. He promises to watch over them from high above. That's what an eagle does, flies high above with a very keen eyesight. 
though jatayu is aged he still the emperor eagle and he promises to take care and look over rama lakshmana and sita after which the trio proceed into the forest and it is now time to settle for the night and this is when lord sri rama decides that some kind of a temporary dwelling a hut should be erected before we continue with the story arvind i'm just uh, reminded of when we used to put dramas in front of swami mm-hmm. the kind of restrictions which used to be given to us you know as given to us by our teachers and our elders they would often say that this is how swami would like a drama to be Correct. and uh, being part of many dramas you'll agree with me that one thing which was very often told to us was keep the negative characters to the least keep the number of uh, scenes where the negativity is expressed to the least in fact most of our dramas would never have a villain mm-hmm. and if if at all there was a villain he had to be transformed in the last scene you know? and another interesting thing is the villain would not be an actual villain and a normal person like any one of us i mean if we are not charged with that spiritual positivity the villain in the drama will appear to be a very rational and normal day to day person absolutely but that is how swami would show so that we aspire to rise to the levels of the ideals being portrayed i mean the hero in the drama would be such a perfect ideal and in front of that ideal even a normal person would appear like a villain and for swami that was good enough you need not portray negativity right swami's idea was portray positivity with so much intensity that even a normal person appears like a villain in front of that idealism so that we all aspire to become like that hero very true in fact uh, i think a couple of years back they had this portrayal of uh, an episode from ravana's life mm. you know it was so beautifully portrayed that in the end it is shown like even somebody like ravana himself realizes what is the mistake he's doing and what is the glorious end he's heading towards to get death in the hands of lord rama you know that was a very beautiful hint which swami gave you know when you convey something when you describe something focus more on the positives focus more on what is the right things to do from that rather than emphasize on the negative and say don't do that mm-hmm. and you kind of see that in swami's ramakatha swayani too because you see the amount of emphasis swami had when it came to the episodes where bharata's positivity was emphasized where kaikeyi's qualities good qualities were emphasized or the other mothers for that matter even in the later discourses when swami spoke about urmila or even the wife of ravana you know wherever the positive aspect of a character had to be portrayed you can see swami never was myseli with words or with pages because so mm-hmm. much emphasis on that but now is the time actually the characters who add spice to the story of ramayana actually come in the villains come in but you can see the amount of you can say partiality towards the goodness in the story in the way swami narrates it i think it's a very very important lesson for all of us i remember 2 years ago i had just done a cursory reading of ramayana mm-hmm. i think it was for a recording that we did on radio sai itself the entire abridged ramayana as 7 hours okay so basically i had taken portions from the ramayana swami's ramayana and abridged them and just it was a reading with some background music that's all in that file might still be there on radio site so after i had done this one of my little cousin sisters visited us at puttaparthi mm-hmm. and uh, she didn't know she was new to swami and all this but uh, i was trying to enthuse her into the story of ramayana Okay. I was trying to tell her that you know the Ramayana story is as wonderful as phenomenal as any of the other stories mm-hmm. or the cartoons that you watch. So I started telling her the Ramayana story. 
I remember the first episode of a war came between Rama and Tataki. Okay. And when I narrated and finished, she said, is it over already? No, no, pull on some more. You know, she wanted me to describe as to how he cut off the limb and she comes and the way, you know, it is shown in the serialization of this epic or in the movie of this epic, they place a lot of emphasis on the warfare, how the hand gets cut and possibly that is the place where they can show off their computer graphic and effects. It's also, as you said, the most exciting, I mean, the masala part, <laughs> the spice part. But when she told me to describe more, I was trying and I realized that I was cooking up things mm-hmm. because I actually had not read anything. That is when I realized that if you see the description of the war that Swami gives, we have till now killed about four or five demons and rakshasas. Swami just says he put this astra, this happened and that it's not only about Swami not laying emphasis on the negative. That is one thing definitely. But there is this other thing that we often hear about Rama. That he is Eka Patni, Eka Bana, Eka Vrata. Means one word, one arrow, one wife. Right. And this is mentioned in Valmiki Ramayana and all the Ramayanas. That Rama always has one word, he never breaks his word. One wife, monogamous, one arrow. So basically he finishes stuff with one arrow. Then you see the movies, you see the representations just for the sake of entertainment. They make Rama shoot quivers and quivers full of arrows, <laughs> which is deviating actually from the truth that is expounded. So, in that sense, when we see in the Ramkatha, at least till now, whatever we have read and seen, it's always that something goes on and then Rama decides to use an arrow and that's the end. It is one arrow per demon. The only time you see Rama using multiple arrows is when a horde of demons attack. So, possibly it's one arrow per demon that way. So, it is not only that Swami doesn't, you know, want to emphasize the negative. Swami just emphasizes the truth. All said and done, that is the truth. The truth is Rama vanquished them with one arrow. Why do you want to glorify it by telling one arrow to cut the neck, one to do this, one to do that? So, it is really important, you know, when Swami says, Satyam Bruyat, Priyam Bruyat, Nab Bruyat, Satyam Apriyam. Speak the truth, speak the pleasing things, don't speak a truth if it is not pleasing. So, Swami, you know, is the first to uphold what he has taught. He practices and then only preaches and that can be seen in the entire Ramakatha. And the other thing I remember in one of the discourses, I think maybe in, in the 80s, Swami mentions that when he was talking about why an avatar descends on earth and uh, he was quoting that famous shloka from the Bhagavad Gita where you have Paritranaya, Sadhunam, Vinayasaya, Chatashkrutam. Mm-hmm. So he was saying that generally when it is told, you always emphasize on Vinayasaya, Chatushkrutam, destruction of the evil. But, you know, the way Swami was describing that in the discourse, he said that is actually a secondary point or almost like something which happens along with the primary motive of the descent. Because he said, unlike you, unlike you all, God can never see the evil in a person. And one who cannot see the evil, how can he transform the evil? Swami said, God can only see the positive and all that God does is only to encourage and to inspire more of that positivity and that goodness to come out. And you can see that because one, even a cursory uh, comparison between Swami's Ramayana and the Ramayana written by the other authors, even Valmiki, Tulsidas, you would see the redemption of a lot of negative characters. We have come mm-hmm. across one Kaike, we would see many to follow, like you know, Vibhishana, Kumbhakarna himself or even uh, that of Wali. The way Swami very beautifully portrays those characters, in spite of all the flaws they did, the goodness which was there in that character too. As you say, that is definitely a speciality in Swami's Ramayana, that these negative characters are redeemed. But even if you take any other Ramayana, you can notice 
that though there are negative characters, none of these characters as they die. See, all the negative characters, so-called negative characters die, whether it's Ravana or Kumbhakarna or Tataki or... But whenever they die, none of them have irritation, anger or hatred towards Rama. All of them have only love towards Rama, which highlights what you just now said, that God never sees negative. He just sees the goodness and fosters the goodness. He never destroys enemies. He destroys enmity. He never destroys people who hate him. He just destroys the hatred. So that is the beauty of the Lord's love. And it can be seen by the fact that none of the people slain by Rama ever curse Rama, speak an angry word against Rama, are hateful towards Rama. They might have spoken angry words before. But finally on their deathbed, all they have is only love and respect and deepest regard for Rama, the Lord. And when that is what we can say about the characters whom we consider negative or whose character is a little in the shade of grey, and what do we say about characters like Lakshmana? You know, Swami would not spare any adjective in describing their greatness and goodness. Because in many ways, this particular episode which happens, I think we made the mistake of narrating this episode sometime before, during mm-hmm. the Vanvasa. But according to the Ramakatha, this episode actually occurs here at Panchavati when Lord Rama asks Lakshmana to look for a suitable place for them to stay for the rest of their uh, exile, to put up a Parnashala or a small settlement. And uh, the story goes, of course, Lakshmana starts crying and he's saying, what sin have I done? Why are you punishing me thus? So both Rama and Sita are surprised. Why is he reacting this way? Hmm. And then Lakshmana says that, where do I have a will of my own? Where do I have a choice of my own? How can you say, choose a spot? You should choose it and tell me that, make it here. I am here only to follow commands. At the outset, you look at this, it does look like a little hyperbolic. <laughs> you know? mm. I mean, how can somebody react so... I mean, it portrays a little bit of too emotional a character, more than too devotional a character. You know, you then, why do you be so melodramatic? But I think Swami uses these dramatic tools to actually enhance the character of Lakshmana and to, to really drill it into our heads what it is to be a real devotee. On a side note here, you know, in our uh, Bharatiya way of looking at things, we don't have these sun signs. We have these moon signs and nakshatras. Right. and So, I know this because my star happens to be Ashlesha, mm-hmm. Ashlesha nakshatra. And it is said that Lakshmana also was an right. Ashlesha nakshatra. And one of the traits of Ashlesha is being a little hyper on the emotional <laughs> side. Okay. So, I feel in that sense also, uh, Swami has, you know, struck to the facts. So, Lakshmana is emotional and in fact, apart from Lord Shiva, even Lakshmana is called Ashutosha and Ashukopa. One who gets angered very easily, one who is pleased also very easily. Both these traits in a psychological sense show an emotional being. So, in that sense it is factual because Lakshmana was indeed emotional and the beautiful thing is Swami shows how even emotion is used to express devotion, it gets elevated and exalted. Being emotional is many times considered a weakness. It can make things go awry. But when that emotion is used as a vehicle to express devotion, then it becomes sublime and beautiful. Right. Maybe a little more on this particular episode, but I think it would be very apt to listen to it in Swami's voice. And Swami describes why Lakshmana reacts like that and what is his emotion. Because we've described it, but there's nothing like listening to it from Swami's voice. రామాజ్ఞానేటువంటిది అందరికి కూడా అంత ప్రధానమైన ప్రమాణము 
Rama's command must be obeyed. Anaga, it's God's command, you should not question. Yes, yes. We should say yes, yes. Dumuku, Dumukatame. Jump, be ready to jump. Lakshmanukurante. Lakshmana is like that. Ayaka Chitrakuta Paramana Poyna Pudu. And they went to Chitrakuta Mountain. Sita Arasinatika Kanepin Chindi. Sita pretend as Sita Ramukundapana Kutsunaru. And they were sitting on a stone sitting. Lakshmana Pinchadu. They called Lakshmana. Lakshmana? Lakshmana. Uka Parnasara and Ninminchu, Sita Chala Alishapa Indiana. Construct a hut Parnashala here, Sita is very much tired. Anna, Yakaran Nimincharo Chapamanad. He said, Brother, where am I to build it? You construct it where you want. Lakshmana felt so sad on the screen. What is sin Rama I committed? Should I listen to all these harsh words? He felt very sad. Sita went. Lakshmana, why are you sad? Rama did not say anything. He wanted you to build the hut where you want. Do I have any separate liking? I have no choice. I have no separate choice. If Rama says I should do it where I like, it means I have to What a harm I have done. I have surrendered all my wealth in the family kingdom. I left everybody, the mother, father, the children, the wife, and caught hold of the And if you say that I should build on my own choice, Rama patting the head of Lakshmana said, You don't feel He sought his pardon for hurting him. And he has shown the spot where the hurt is Lakshmana said, Your command is important. I am ready for anything. No reply whatsoever. So there is a clip from a discourse which was delivered on 1996, 22nd May, as part of that Ramayana Samakos. You know, in this uh, clip, Swami mentions that Rama has told Lakshmana to build it at Chitrakuta. Just as we had mentioned last week, Chitrakuta comes somewhere in the northeastern part of India, in the state of Uttar Pradesh. And Panchavati, where in the Ramkatha Rasavahini, where Swami described that this scene happened, is somewhere in near Nagpur in Maharashtra, in the state of Maharashtra, which is almost in the western side of India. These two places are about 700 to 800 kilometers apart, possibly. The thing is, you know, it is possible that this episode might have happened in multiple places because I think Lakshmana would have built at least a thousand huts <laughs> in that exile, partly because of their vow that they will not stay more than one night at a hermitage. So there might have been many nights where they are crossing from one hermitage to other and they are left high and dry without any place to rest. So it is definitely possible that this might have occurred multiple times. I say this because, you know, when I look back at our own experiences with Swami, there have been instances where Swami teaches a lesson. The lesson might be anything. For example, it might be that every word of Swami, whether it's spoken casually or seriously, is a Veda Vakya. It is definitely true. Or the lesson might be that dreams of Swami where you feel Him as if you have seen Him during the darshan. I mean, you are not able to distinguish between illusion and reality. Such kinds of dreams where you see him clearly are nothing different from reality. They are true. 
it might be any of these lessons you receive it once you know i like this you know i have received dozens of lessons from swami but once i receive it on that day or possibly that week when i received that is the only thing in my heart and i keep repeating and i keep telling even if i meet anybody i tell them about it and the way i am convinced about it, it looks like nothing in lifetimes can ever shake that conviction but within a month or so many times i have seen that i falter and commit the same mistake again and again you know the lord comes and <laughs> patiently teaches the same lesson over and over again my ability to make mistakes go back and commit the same things is infinite and thankfully swami's mercy love and compassion is also infinite so they both meet that way so therefore you know i can completely feel that it is possible that among 1000 hurts maybe this episode happened two three times and uh, swami uses the opportunity to highlight that because if we see when swami speaks he always speaks about the devotee just as the devotee delights in glorifying about the lord the lord takes delight in glorifying about the devotee and therefore we see that swami narrating this episode sometimes with chitrakuta sometimes with panchavati but whatever it is it is a delight and it is a chance for us to relive it for the second time very true and uh, whenever i would hear this particular part narrated by swami I would often think, you know, there is another episode which Swami narrates from the Ramayana, hmm. which is again concerning a little bit on uh, Lakshmana, because hmm. we will be coming to it much, much later. When after the war, Lakshmana suggests to Rama, why don't we stay back and rule Lanka? Yes, he says it <laughs> right. is so golden. Huh? Right, and, and then of course that uh, epochal statement Rama makes, the Janani Janma Bhumischa Swargata Pinagariyasi. But I would often think, you know, this is the same Lakshmana who refused to choose a spot to build a hut. Hmm. Here he is making a suggestion of changing of kingdom, <laughs> you know, changing of your place of ruling. Was this the same Lakshmana? But you know, that is where the beauty is. We all think that surrender is either it's there or it's not there. Of course, that's how it is. But most of us are actually marching towards that surrender. In that sense, there are moments where we can express that kind of surrender, where we, we readily give up our choice and say that, Swami, what you choose is my choice. Hmm. But... There are other times when we think that we know better. And I think all of us can relate to it. We all think that, Swami, I know what's the best way. You just listen to my prayer and do it the way I'm asking for it. Mm. But how many times can you you know, shift towards that the way you react is coming from surrender than from your reasoning and your thinking? Even Lakshmana was an example for that. I think there is no comparison between Lakshmana and us because most of the time he actually exhibited this kind of surrender. I think... When Swami narrates examples of Lakshmana or of Arjuna being the ultimate ideal, it is in order to inspire us to try and reach that level. And at the same time, when Swami narrates episodes where, you know, Lakshmana and Arjuna apparently fail and falter, it is in order to again encourage us and enthuse us saying that, you know, don't think it's impossible because Arjuna and Lakshmana are also people like any of us, any of you. And... Though they might have faltered, it is with their determination and dedication. It's not about never falling, but it's always about rising every time you fall. And therefore, even when Swami narrates about their failures or falter, when they have faltered, it is in order to enthuse us. So, whatever Swami does, whether He narrates it, narrates them as how they were ideal, or also narrates episodes when they fell from the ideal, Both are in order to enthuse us. One is to tell us that this is what you should strive for. The other is to tell that if you are not able to hit it, don't worry because even a hero like Arjuna failed. 
even a hero like lakshmana had his weak moments so therefore don't lose courage if you get weak moments keep trying to improve and as you said each one of us in our lives would have experienced those moments when we have felt absolutely peaceful and calm in our conviction and surrender to swami and things would have gone on beautifully at the same time though we have experienced that once we would have come across situations where we would have felt helpless and we would have felt like questioning swami saying swami why on earth is this happening so each of them it doesn't prove anything it doesn't prove that we are people who have surrendered completely nor does it prove that we are people who don't have surrender it just shows that we are capable of surrender and therefore we should try to inculcate this surrender more frequently in our life every day of our life and then move on to every hour of our life to finally reaching every moment of our lives when it will become paripurna surrender a complete surrender very true i think uh, you know some couple of weeks back during the children's hour in the evening you know we narrated one story mm-hmm. where it's that famous chinnakatha where there is a little boy who has to go to school alone and uh, he comes crying to his mother that i'm very scared of this forest and krishna and his mother yeah. says that you know you have an elder brother whose name is gopala you call out and he'll come you know we narrated this incident and uh, one little boy wrote to us very sweet seven year old boy he writes to us asking you know the story was very nice i enjoyed it but i have a few problems and doubts <laughs> and you know what he said he says that look uh, even i go to school but i go to school by bus so how do i call, call out to krishna <laughs> <laughs> and there is no forest around where i live and he says unlike that boy i have an elder brother still can i call out to krishna and will he come okay you know it's it was so innocently beautiful but you know this was a child who was really wanting to internalize that story and really wanting to experience what was mentioned in the story but that's what you can see that sometimes when concepts like surrender or concepts like you know swami will always take care of you whatever happens is good for you you can relate only to a certain incidents in your life or certain situations in your life and i think as you grow and as you mature in your reasoning and in your thinking or mature as a devotee you will see that you will be able to apply that to many other situations in life and that is why in sometimes you can show surrender sometimes you cannot show surrender it's always like this little child who wanted to take that concept but it was not i mean it was not directly applicable to his life as it was you can't pick it and right. print it on your right but i think as he grows he will see that you know in his own way he will be able to relate to swami but the admirable quality of that child is to be eager and enthusiastic to know the answer absolutely which i feel is most important see it is not important whether we get the right answers it is important that we get the right questions because as swami says the answers are all within only when the right questions are asked the answer pops out i might have narrated this before but there is this movie called i robo mm-hmm. in that there are some clues that are placed throughout the movie for the protagonist to discover and the clues are in the form of a holographic image of a professor and you know whenever he discovers one such holographic image and he asks whatever he asks the professor will keep saying i can't tell you this i can't tell that i can't tell this and finally yeah but why on earth did that happen or this happen he asks one particular question and the holographic image says now that is the right question and it vanishes so the clues are not 10 answers but 10 questions because once you get the right question the answer is nearby nothing can prevent you from getting that answer and that way it is really admirable what the child has done because you and me possibly may not have the answer for that what maybe, to tell him yes. how you'll find him in the bus <laughs> exactly maybe i should complete the story because it's so beautiful oh wow okay because he wrote this questions to us and we had no answers to give you know we 
we cut a sorry figure and explained it to him on air, but we had no answers to give. But that's the beauty, you know. I think that the urge to know the answers was so genuine. Hmm. About three weeks later, he writes to us again. Hmm. He says, I'm so happy to share with you that Swami came in my dream and answered all the questions. Wow. Of course, he didn't share the answers. We were waiting for that still. Hmm. But you know, that's the beauty where he said, you could really see it was a restless child who wanted to know those answers and Swami did what we were supposed to do here. And that's the beauty. And I think that very, very beautifully and logically brings us to the next part in the story itself. Because here uh, in the Ramakathara Swami, Swami says, after Lakshmana builds the hut and after they all settle down, and that's when all the hermits and the recluses around in that place start visiting Rama. Mm. And knowing that here was the repository of wisdom in the form of this Advent, they come to him with all their doubts, especially spiritual doubts, and they start having a discussion with him, asking these questions. Rama gives them very, very satisfying answers. And in this part in the Ramakatha, Swami gives a very short discourse on how a question should be asked. You know, there are different types of questions and what are the questions which are actually beneficial. Swami says that there are four kinds of questions. In the context that there are many people coming to Rama with questions. So, Swami says four kinds of questions are there. The first is the lowest kind of questions. These are questions that people ask in order to just humiliate the other or drag the other into some kind of a controversy. So, these are the lowest kind of questions which must be avoided. Then comes the low questions which is the second category. He says... These may not humiliate actually, but these are questions that are asked to show off, to bolster one's own ego, one's own uh, sense of pride. So, it serves no other purpose other than to allow the questioner to show off. That is a low question. Then Swami says, so low and lowest, both these. One is asking questions for show off. I am sure each one of us in our school days might have faced, if we were the uh, smart guys around, then we would be the people guilty of this. If we were the not so smart guys around, we surely remember some of our classmates doing this and we would have just smirked and remarked, what a show off, you know. So, this is definitely something that should be avoided. A show off is at least better than a question to humiliate. Mm-hmm. Humiliate and put down the other. And then Rama says there is a third question which is passable. Passable meaning, it's okay. It's okay if you ask this. I mean, this question is kind of two way it is possible because one definitely you know when the person feels that what discourse is going on or what thing is being said is definitely not up to the mark because the person explaining is missing one or two vital points that he or she already knows so a question is asked in order to direct the person who is explaining on to those two three points so that the others benefit the others benefit so it is not that you don't know the answer But here also there is a slight element of show-off. You want to direct the teacher or the person who is explaining along a a course of explanation so that everybody else can benefit. But since there is that motive that everybody should also benefit, Rama says or Swami says that this is a possible kind of question. And then he comes to the best kind of question. So, the lowest and low must be avoided. Possible is okay. But the best is the praiseworthy kind of question which I remember famously is referred to as Pariprashna. In the Shirdi Sai Satcharitra. Right. And Swami goes on to say that asking that question with the real desire to know. And uh, 
and if you go into real uh, zen philosophy and spirituality they will always have these disciples and devotees coming up and asking questions which may be very very mundane in fact there is that episode i think which happens with one of the spiritual masters it's a real life story hmm. where a satsang is going on and there is a discourse on advaita going on and uh, one man comes and sits in the rear he's sitting quietly then suddenly in between he gets up and he asks a question which apparently even you and i could have answered right hmm. because it's an intellectual question which i think we would have read from so many books and we would have gathered the knowledge to answer that question but he asked a very simple question of course with relevance to the theme which was being discussed and the master gives him a one line answer just explains which anybody in that gathering could have given and this man stops looks up into the air and just walks out of the gathering and then the master who is sitting there he says that he's through hmm. the master says that that was the only thing which was stopping him from complete understanding and now he's through and the point to be noted here is it's not so uh, something great about the master see that is why i feel rama or swami says that don't ask a question to put down the other person for instance one might ask you know again i'm sharing all this from some personal experience where you know sometimes you feel this teacher is not up to the mark i have felt it once or twice and yes i am guilty of it i publicly admit to it that you feel that you know this teacher whatever subject maybe he has not brushed up his whatever teaching for that day or or maybe he doesn't know or whatever but this teacher is not up to the mark and when you get irritated you feel that you know let me ask a question so that the teacher knows where he or she stands <laughs> so from school days once or twice i have been guilty of this no why why should that not be done what is the use of asking a genuine question to which i need to know the answer when i'm sure that the teacher doesn't know that might be the question but reading what swami says what rama says it becomes evident that it is enough if you have the thirst to know the answer you getting the answer doesn't depend upon the teacher knowing it or anybody knowing it you just be sincere just like that child whom you mentioned uh, in children's hour who asked the question he was sincere he did not think for a moment whether we here at radio sai will have an answer for him he was sincere in his asking and he got his answer while we are still none the wiser we still don't know <laughs> what is the answer but the child got his answer which shows that the source of all answers is divine is god and when we ask with all intensity and sincerity it is god who answers and therefore we need not worry about whether the teacher or whether the speaker or whether who is explaining knows it or not just be sincere and that is the kind of question that is praiseworthy as rama says and that's precisely what happens you know that famous you use the word pariprashna it's an episode from the life of uh, shirdi baba i was just reading it today it's mm-hmm. coincidental that you mention it here and uh, it's amazing nana chandorkar has done a great study of all the scriptures bhagavad gita vedanta and everything and this happened in a time when shirdi baba had not yet become you know big big in the sense there would not be regular assemblies at dwarka mai shirdi baba would be all by himself and nana chandorkar who recognized shirdi baba's divinity would be at his feet he was convinced that shirdi baba doesn't know much of this sanskrit or anything and so one day he's sitting at shirdi baba's feet and apparently he's muttering something actually he's chanting passages from the bhagavad gita that is when shirdi baba asked him hey what is it that you're doing he says nothing baba i'm just saying something he says no tell me what are you saying he says uh, i'm chanting the bhagavad gita which one which shloka are you chanting chant it aloud for me so at that point in time nana chandorkar is uh, chanting the 34th shloka 
of the fourth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. And he says it aloud. The shloka is, Tad viddi pranipatena pariprashnena sevaya upadekshanti te jnanam jnanina tattva darshina. I might have made a few errors in pronunciation. But this is the shloka. So Shirdi Baba says, what is the meaning of this shloka? So Nana Chandorkar gives the meaning, thinking that possibly Shirdi Baba is eager to know. So he tells him the general meaning. He says that pranipatena means by prostration. Pariprashnena is by questioning. Sevaya is by service. So he says by prostrating, by serving and by asking questions of the Guru, you obtain that Jnana. And the next line says that this Jnana you will obtain by meeting with different Jnanis and those who have seen the truth. So he says this is the meaning. And then Shirdi Baba says, don't give me a generalized meaning like this. Give me a word to word meaning. <laughs> so he thinks, okay, he is a Sanskrit scholar. So he starts explaining. That is when, when he says pranipatena and he says it means prostration. Shirdi Baba asks him, does it mean only prostration? So he says, Baba, that is what I know. I have read Shankara's Bhashyam, that is Adi Shankara's the comment, discourse commentary on this. So he says, there he mentions it as salutation. Okay. Then, Pariprashnena. Pariprashnena is by questioning. Now Shirdi Baba asks him a question. He says, what is the meaning of the word Prashna? He says, Prashna means to question. Then what is the meaning of Pariprashna? Nana Chandorkar says, as far as I know, Baba, it means to question. Then Shirdi Baba says, was Vyasa off his head? Why did he have to use that extra word Pari when Prashna could have been sufficient? Is it just to match the poetic meter? Yeah, possibly, you know, because the Mahatmas strike three, four birds in one stone. So possibly it's also to complete the poetic meter. But why? Why did he have to use Pari Prashna instead of Prashna? And what is the meaning of Sevaya? Sevaya means to serve. What I am doing now, serving it, he says, no, that is not it. So now, you know, Nana Chandrakar is surprised, shocked. The episode goes on, you know, where also Shirdi Baba tells him that when you say Upadekshanti te jnanam, te jnanam, te jnanam jnanina. So he says, you interpret it as jnanina, I mean, as the one, those who are wise. What is the other word that can fit here? What is the other meaning? The actual uh, shloka meaning is Upatekshanti te jnanam. Mm-hmm. If you do the three above, which you said, you know, prostrations, service and questioning, mm-hmm. it says jnaninas tattva darshina. Those who have seen the truth mm-hmm. and the jnanis can give you jnanam. That's why it says te jnanam jnanina tattva darshina. So he says that so those who have seen the truth will give you the knowledge. Second line, that's where actually very beautiful and very hidden message. In fact, that again leads us to what Swami says in the Ramakatha next. Going back to those words, it says, Te Jnanam Jnaninas Tattva Darshina, which means the Jnanis and those who have seen the truth will give you Jnanam. Okay, and the word is Te Jnanam. You will get Jnanam from them. And Shri Baba asks, can you replace the word Jnanam with any other word and hmm. still not change the sentence? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when uh, Nana Sahib starts thinking. He said, there is no other word. Jnanam is the only word which fits there. And then Shirdi Baba asks him, if you put Agnyanam there, because mm-hmm. even if you put Agnyanam, it still remains Te Jnanam. That Sandhi doesn't change. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, so Nana Sahib says that, yes, you can put Agnyanam, but it doesn't make any sense. Then Shirdi Baba explains that it makes more sense if you put Agnyanam there. And then Baba gives a very beautiful explanation. He says, the truth can never be explained or be put in words because you have that, you know, it is beyond the ken of words and reasoning. It can never be explained. 
all that a guru does is show you what is not the truth because the truth can never be spoken about the truth can never be explained he only says that this is not the truth this is not the reality always it's only neti neti this is not the reality search further search further so all that the gnanis and tattvadarshinas do is show you what is not the truth so that you can for yourself identify and grasp what is the truth thank you for that the second thing is that the truth is something very personal that has to be discovered by oneself as you said the truth cannot be explained even by the gnanis that is what krishna says to arjuna because they can only show what is ignorance and sometimes i feel sitting here in front of the mic i simply parade my ignorance all of us sitting <laughs> yeah so dear listeners just use the neti philosophy over here and understand what is ignorance so that you can keep away from it and coming back seriously to this matter jnana or wisdom or truth is something very 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 personal and which is something that lights up from within it cannot be given by any third party if we take the avatar for instance when the lord has come why did he not just walk in kulvanthal and at the end of the day whoever has sat there in darshan become gnanis because all his life the physical sojourn that he did on earth in my humble opinion bhagwan only pointed out what was agnana what is agnana because anything that we do is agnana anything that we do is ignorance this is ignorance this is ignorance know that once we become aware of ignorance everything being ignorance ignorance everything being maya then in the depths of that spiritual silence we had the satsang on silence recently in the depths of that spiritual silence wisdom will dawn there is nothing like right or wrong over here it's about being peaceful and when that wisdom dawns you know it because of the peace that it gives you possibly i'll just share one episode that is very fresh as fresh as today morning you know yesterday i received a couple of mails these were personal mails since i do quite a bit of blogging i get a lot of uh, feedback mails or question mails and some of the mails were about this recent phenomenon of the sukshma sharira or the subtle body at mudanalli mm-hmm. as i mentioned in the previous satsangs i have been trying to keep away from it because i don't want to do anything with it but somehow i have not been able to and let me confess it it, it disturbs my peace makes me feel little agitated and to see all this going on and these mails that come to me in that the writer says that see you are not being scientific you have never gone to mudanhalli you don't know what's happening there so how can you say that it is wrong now why i am saying it is wrong is based on what i have read in swami's discourses what swami has delivered i can hear the audio it is there on radio sai it's so clear and therefore i felt that you know there is no need to go there and see it but one part of me kept saying that you know that is right you are not being scientific you are not being scientific you have not gone there and checked it out so how can you say that it is not right and how can you say you want to keep away from it this kept annoying at me see there is one thing about the logic saying something and the heart saying something right see logically i have an answer for this the answer simply being there are so many others who are mimicking satyasai baba there are so many there is one in nepal there is one in andhra itself there are so many others who claim to be shaktis or consorts of swami they are present in south india if you see the number of what we may call as people imitating or taking on the powers of satyasai baba at least 5 10 are there did i go to each one of them to say that i don't want to follow them i never did that logically this is the explanation then why is mudanalli a special case for me i don't need to go there did i go to nepal and verify that 
it is definitely not swami and therefore come see in the ultimate advaitic sense everything is swami so i didn't do that so logically why should i do that for mudinali that is the logical answer which i thought i can give it to this person who is asking the question but in my own heart as i said because we all falter and fail that's what i confessed right how many other times swami teaches us i falter and fail i was shaking that is when you know i sat and intensely i just prayed i said swami please i need closure on this i need some sort of a closure on this and i put up a kind of a crazy deal i said swami somehow give vibhuti for me today or tomorrow if you don't want me to go anywhere near mudanalli i won't ask for it from anyone but if you give me vibhuti today or tomorrow then that's it i will nowhere step anywhere near mudanalli but then if it doesn't happen today or tomorrow then i won't take it as a message to go to mudanalli i want a proof for that also day after or day day after i need to get vibhuti so in the four days span the first two days if i get vibhuti mm-hmm. i will not go the next two days if i get i will go this was a kind of condition i put and i since you know i don't know in whatever sincerity i could muster i just said swami please i don't know if it was sincerity but definitely there was desperation, desperation right? i said swami it has been bothering me for so long now see i want my peace my peace is getting shaken please swami please i did that and so that was yesterday yesterday sometime in the morning today morning i am in the bathroom and i hear a knock on the door it's my wife and you know she tells me arvin vibhuti has come i said where who brought it i mean <laughs> she says no from swami's photograph in the altar and you know i was so thrilled i rushed out and i saw immediately felt so much at calm you know it's not because whether it's right or wrong you know from this i don't say that mudanali is a dark evil dirty place nothing not, not that sort what i just felt is mudanali is not for me it's not for me and i'm so much at peace with the decision now because i know this is what swami has told me and now when i write to that person i know what i'm going to write i am going to write dear so and so you see i have received my message my message is to not step anywhere near that place but it does not necessarily mean that that's the message for you this whole experience i'm going to share this experience with that person and tell that person that this whole experience means that you need to seek from swami this person has apparently come to swami more than two decades before mm-hmm. these two decades of association with swami means nothing to you it should mean right if it means then ask swami why are you asking me why are you asking me to go and do this investigative journalism and say why do you want to accept my word even then you know is that not paradoxical that in order to tell that don't accept somebody else's word for swami you are accepting my word <laughs> it is so paradoxical that situation so therefore the answer is though i have heard so many accounts from the so called pro mudenhalli people and the anti mudenhalli people i have heard all these it never gave me peace of mind i might have logically been convinced one way but in my heart i was always having this flutter but today it's gone prem i can swear and confidently say it is gone the flutter is gone in my heart because i don't care now what it is i absolutely have no care because swami has clearly indicated and i know that if i need to go there swami will indicate to me i have no need of that and i am at peace with that and the vibhuti i was expecting somebody to come and hand over a packet maybe when i am walking into the <laughs> darshan hall in gopuram through the gopuram gate somebody will just come and tell sairam take vibhuti packet that is how we think because that is how our minds are i never imagined that this would happen with such promptness i really feel that 
in the ramakatha swami describes how rama is in the forest and everybody is coming and asking him questions now rama's wisdom was same when he was in the kingdom also but i feel the reason why swami has placed it here or it is placed in such a manner in the ramayana is to show that when rama is in the deep forests that is when the egg, wisdom is exuded it does not speak about the capacity of rama because rama is the same but it just shows that when we are able to go deep within in the depths of silence that is what the forest stands for there right that is what swami says hands in the society heads in the forest when the head goes into the forest which means when we are able to develop that silence and when we seek the answer has to come that is how even that child who asked the question got the answer right nobody knows the answer for that other than god but he got the answer it's about being keen and eager and intense in your question swami will give the answer so now i know what i'm going to tell anybody if they ask me i'm going to say ask your swami don't you have that much faith in your swami don't you have that much confidence in your swami and once you get your reply from swami all that you need is the courage to follow that voice till now logic logic is not a sound foundation to build any structure spiritual structure upon faith is the strong foundation self confidence is the strong foundation on which a superstructure has to be built a superstructure in spiritual terms i mean and today i feel so grateful to swami and it has only reinforced my faith that come what may my swami is there to answer and i'm so much at peace i just felt like sharing this because when i read about how people went to rama with their deepest problems and doubts and drama dispelled them i felt so thrilled because the times may change yugas may change the lord's love and compassion remains the same even to this day any doubt anything that plagues us anything that harasses us all we need to do is go into the depths of silence and confide it to swami swami is there to clear it the beauty of the whole thing is whether it was you know swami or anybody else pretending to be swami or whatever it is i think as long as you asking a question and getting an answer that episode makes you dependent on that person i think both ways you know one may be a, a lesser reality than the other one may be a lesser illusion than the other but swami himself would say that you know even this body is an illusion even when swami was there in that flesh and blood swami did not want beyond a certain point a dependence on that 5 foot 3 inch form so any anybody else who's trying to make us dependent on them i think it's a, it's a clear sign that there's something little more traveling to do little more uh, going deeper within to do and that's why beautifully i think we spoke about it a couple of weeks back or a month ago when we were talking about the aradhana mahotsav because that's why independence is a synonym of freedom because as long as you're dependent on some, what is inside you're free and that's the whole idea of anything devotion or anything and that's the beauty even in this one even in this episode where we are going through swami says that many hermits come and they ask and they have a discussion they get the clarification swami says a lot of them stay back nearby you know they don't go away they go and stay under a tree or something near rama's hermitage so that whenever he would come out and they would see him and it is beautiful in the point of view of devotion because you would see that even when swami was here you know a lot of us would hang around around mandir when we knew that swami is going to come out for a drive or you know if you ask the devotees who would speak about the old days when there was no kulanth hall or brindavan days student would always you know stand behind the bushes or be under some bench hoping that if swami would give a glimpse through the window they would be there to receive that blessing we all are to an extent dependent on that form it is helpful in the sense of it keeps your focus on divinity it 
removes you from all other distractions. But after some time, at some point, the dependence has to turn inward. And I think that is the most important message. It's not about whether what is right, what is wrong, whether this is where I have to be or this is where I have to be. And as long as you're depending on somebody else's answer, I think your journey is definitely not complete. From multiple forms to a single form. Right. That is concentration, that is focus. Some would always say that meditation, no, it starts with concentration, then contemplation, and then comes meditation, the highest state. So I feel concentration is, you know, when you have a choice to focus your energies and thoughts on the world versus God, you choose God. I mean, this is my understanding and my humble opinion. And I feel it works for me. That's why I'm sharing it. So the first stage concentration is about ruling out the world and deciding I want God. And then comes the next stage of contemplation. If you, even if you pick God, there are so many options available, right? Of course, if you say I'm a Christian, there's only one option. Correct. But Christianity is an option that you have picked. You have picked the God in Christianity as your option. You can pick uh, the Buddha. You can pick Allah. You can pick so many options are available. So I feel choosing and zeroing in on one single particular name and form is contemplation. Picking on one particular name. Because it's like the example that is given is of digging a well. Rather than dig 100 pits of 10 feet each, dig one pit of a 1000 feet depth and you are sure to strike water. So rather than, you know, I worship Rama, Krishna, then Jesus and this, it is uh, one is better than the other. It's just that the best for you is the one you choose. So if you pick, be loyal and stick on to that. I feel having chosen the beautiful form of Swami, it would be disloyalty, droham, guru droham, to shift over to another form because of so-called ease of accessibility or anything. That's what I feel. I remember telling my parents that even if Premasai comes, he will have a hell of a time trying to prove to me that he is my Satisai. And then only I will accept because my life is for Satisai. You see now, when you say Tyagaraja is a devotee of Rama, doesn't mean that you know, he doesn't like Krishna or anything. Even if Krishna comes, Tyagaraja, I'm sure would have loved to see Krishna in the form of Rama. Because that is what he has got. And finally, we move to the stage of meditation, where even that form has to go. And that is what happened with Ramakrishna Paramahamsa. What Totapuri did, made him cut the neck of Ma, Kalima, which is so dear to him. And then he went into Nirvikalpa Samadhi. But the beauty is, as Totapuri himself says, that what took years and years for him to achieve, Ramakrishna Paramahamsa achieved in a moment. That is why when we go stage-wise, concentration, contemplation and meditation, it comes very quickly. So therefore, this Sarupya, concentrating on one name and form, is so important because once all our energies, all our attention, all our focus is only on that name and form, the only attachment left to us will be that name and form. And only that one will have to drop off and that's it. It will be Nirvikalpa Samadhi. And therefore, why grow further attachments? I just feel turn inward, seek from Swami, seek from the Swami we have loved and Swami will be there to give the answers. And you know, going back to that uh, shloka from the Bhagavad Gita, and uh, maybe it's good embodiment of that would be the character we, are, we started off with. Because you know, he, in that description, actually, Shri Baba says, Pranipatena Pariprashnena Sevaya. He says, only he is suitable to receive knowledge or otherwise, you know, or mm. the knowledge of that which is ignorance. Only he is suitable to receive that or who he is, you know, worthy of receiving that knowledge who has done these three. You know, one who has surrendered himself, one who has served the Lord and one who is asking questions 
after that and that is why somebody who perfectly fits that bill is lakshmana here because he is completely surrendered you know that is the that's the scene we started with showing that he doesn't have anything of his own will or his own choice or volition and then comes seva of course there's nobody who is a better embodiment of service than lakshmana and in this last part of that particular chapter we were discussing swami says how through lakshmana rama actually passes on the wisdom of what is true what is untrue what is wisdom what is ignorance because swami says that rama chose lakshmana as a worthy vehicle to carry this wisdom because in that period in the forest rama actually discourses lakshmana every day on these particular aspects and by calling him a vehicle swami is saying that see rama is a repository but how will that wisdom be drawn out unless there is someone to listen and so therefore as lakshmana listens this entire conversation gets recorded and that is how what rama is speaking you know there would be the hermits and the recluses who would come to rama and ask questions and rama would answer them in other times when it's only rama lakshmana and sita rama would discuss this has happened so many times you know when we read the experiences of howard murphett or hislop i'm mentioning these names because they have actually written it down and put it in a book format for us to read so i'm sure this would have happened to many others during drives with swami swami would spontaneously give message and therefore we have to be grateful to them that they recorded it and kept for us they were the vehicle because of which what swami spoke that day we are able to hear today in the same way lakshmana was a vehicle because since he possessed those traits of pariprashna pranipata complete surrender and complete service to the master it is not as if he needed this and yet he received it because he was receiving it on behalf of humanity if you go by the scriptures brahma sutras especially the kind of uh, preconditions a sadhaka should have to be able to receive this knowledge we'll feel so ashamed if you read of that you know we have asked questions from swami when he gave the opportunity because i remember so many times in a class interview swami will ask any questions and we would feel like we are sadhakas and ask some very uh, profound questions mm. but if you read that description you would see that the quality is required for a sadhaka to even ask those questions or to receive those that wisdom is really really a very high standard and in fact uh, you know there is one episode in the ramayana which sami is not very often narrated in fact i have never heard sami narrating it but one of our teachers used to share that experience you know sanjeev sani sir the current director of the brindavan campus he would narrate and when he would narrate he would say that he has heard it only once a mm. time when even lakshmana was tested and mm. it happened around this period when they were living in the panchavati forest i think maybe we should listen to it in his own voice he narrated it in one of his uh, talks which he gave to the students will li- listen to that it's a very uh, exquisite episode i don't think it's there in any other narration of the ramayana let me share with you a small anecdote from ramayana it was narrated by swami in my more than a quarter century association with swami i have heard it only once when he was speaking to students in trai and it is not recorded in any ramayana lakshmana the great lakshmana though a krahasta was a great brahmachari the ramayana declares the sages of rama's time declared that his victory over indrajit was superior to that of rama over ravana because indrajit had the power to become invisible and he had mastery over the magical arts there was no way in which anybody could defeat him except one person who had practiced purity for 14 long years and that qualification lakshmana had 
for 14 years that he was in the forest dedicated service that he did to Lord Sri Rama he acquired that purity of heart to defeat tomorrow when we are going to participate in Swami's mission the challenges are going to be so immense that we need the power of Brahmacharya to face those challenges everybody will not be able to face those challenges Lakshmana was able to do it because he practiced Brahmacharya and not without God testing him one day Sri Rama you know Swami is also no different he wants to test his brothers Lakshmana Sita is sleeping in the forest she is sleeping on Rama's lap Rama pretends that he has some urgent work so he says Lakshmana I have some work I want to go but don't disturb Sita you come and take my place and let Sita still sleep till she wakes up so quietly they change their position Lakshmana takes Rama's position and Sita is with her head on Lakshmana's lap what does Rama do? he converts himself into a parrot and goes and sits on the top of the thatched hut and he is looking now let me see what is going to happen to Lakshmana Lakshmana is also not an ordinary fellow you know what he did? this is what Swami said look at it alone nobody else alone with a woman who is his brother's wife this is what Lakshmana did Sumitra, 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 Sumitra all the time he is reminding the lady who is sleeping on my lap is not Sita but Sumitra, my mother, my mother, my mother Patanjali calls this Pratipaksha Bhavana when you get a wrong thought always produce a counter thought more powerful which will negate the effect of the wrong thought it is one of the subtlest of secrets of Ramayanam which Swami narrated once to the students how to practice overcoming wrong thought negative thoughts which will always assail us from time to time but we must have the wherewithal to overcome all that wow that's a beautiful episode which apart from showing us how ideal Lakshmana is also gives us many insights profound lessons one of course is to counter every negative thought with a positive thought and the other thing you know that he mentioned the challenges will be immense if we want to be a part of Swami's mission the challenges will be immense and for that we need to have this Brahmachari nature this was a speech that he delivered during the Brahmachari conference and in that it was made clear that you don't become a brahmachari just by abstaining from marriage. It was highlighted that Swami's definition of brahmachari is one who seeks brahman. One who seeks brahman and for that there is nothing like a barring qualification or anything like that. All that one needs to have is that mumukshu or the intense desire and perseverance, faith in the master. And so therefore, it really inspires each one of us to try to emulate and become in part like Lakshmana. And in this particular part in the Ramakatha, Swami beautifully explains, I'm not sure we are uh, competent enough to discuss really what Swami says in that because it's a mm. very, very esoteric explanation of the highest truth which happens there. One of the most striking things which 
Rama explains to Lakshmana there is the difference in Maya. We always talk of Maya. We had a short discussion last week also. But here very clearly Swami says there are two types of Maya. Swami says the Vidya Maya and Avidya Maya. Where Vidya Maya is that primordial Maya or that duality when it happened. That which was responsible for all creation. That which in consonance with Brahman actually created all the duality and multiplicity. That was the Vidya Maya which is actually beneficial. Which is actually the cause for all that we see. But the one which is more dangerous is Avidya Maya. And I think all that which comes, which is uh, harmful for ourselves and those people around us like pride, ignorance and conceit. I think all that comes under Avidya Maya. And Rama says, tells to Lakshmana that this is the Maya that you have to keep away from. The other one is worthy of worship. Because Vidya Maya has created the creation. Avidya Maya is what takes away that knowledge. Takes away the knowledge in the sense that it clouds that knowledge. That you know that Maya has been brought in just to create this whole play called life, this drama called life. It covers up that knowledge and therefore makes us ignorant and therefore Avidya Maya. As Prem said, dear listeners, we are not competent to go into these things. But Rama continues to discourse Lakshmana. He tells him about the three gunas, the Sattva, Rajas and Tamas. And two beautiful points are made here by Swami through Rama. That is, yes, Swami or Rama, whatever we say is the same. Sattva, Tamas and Rajas are the three gunas which are the three components of the entire creation. Without these, there is no creation. And everything in the creation has different proportions of these three. Sattva, Rajas and Tamas. I think Prem, possibly someday we should do an entire satsang, if not two, on the gunas. It will be an enlightening experience for us also. And definitely we can learn more about these gunas because I don't think these five minutes will suffice to go into Sattva, Rajas and Tamas. But then, in order to complete, get closure on what Rama tells to Lakshmana, he tells that Rajas, Rajas is that intense activity. Rajas is represented by Lord Brahma, the creator. It is Rajas that leads to creation. And it is Sattva that leads to sustenance. If there is Sattva Guna, if Rajas transforms into Sattva, it is sustenance. That is Vishnu. Vishnu the sustainer. And therefore, It again gives another message that if you want to sustain something, if something has to be permanent, it has to be based on sattva. Because rajas is good for creation, but for sustenance you need sattva. If not, if rajas doesn't change to sattva, but changes into tamas, Swami says tamas stands for Shiva, which is the power of destruction. It gets destroyed. And this cycle keeps going on. If only there is tamas, that is tamas is inactivity, inertia, that is Shiva, destruction. If there is Tamas, then only can Rajas come. Because Swami says the evolution is from Tamas to Rajas. That is Rajas is Brahma, the creation. And if only Brahma is there, Vishnu is there. You know, when you see all this, you realize that Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, these are all not some deities or some forms of God with four heads, five heads or one dressed in tiger skin. While those are descriptions They stand for something much more basic, much more fundamental and much more deep. All these forms are just metaphorical versions of the truth. So that comprehension becomes easy even for the simple minded. But this is something that Rama explains to Lakshmana and to all of us also through Lakshmana. I was once listening to a a talk by one of the... A very elderly Ustad, you know, mm. and uh, this was actually, a, I think, a documentary, a radio documentary on this person. 
and it spoke of how the great musicians of yore you know before probably the 20th century they were all dead against recording okay it had just mm-hmm. come where you could record and these olden days records used to come with ghazals and uh, you know hindustani bandishes and all they were dead against these recording of their concerts mm-hmm. because they would say and you know typically a hindustani concert would be they would take one raga for the evening an entire 3 hours 4 hours even up to 6 hours would be on that one raga and uh, they would say that if you record this and you say this is so and so gulam ali singing this raga the generations to come will believe that this is what the raga is you know this is my interpretation of the raga which is so very expansive but generations to come will think that this is how the raga has to be rendered hmm. you know they say this is the danger of recording and really speaking that's what has happened you know we feel that this is how it has to be rendered this is how a song is but actually they were saying that the same raga i would sing it differently on a different day and typically when you say that brahma is like this vishnu is like this shiva is like this you know because that image has been passed on to us swami would very often say that in discourses you know this is the imagination of ravi varma you know king ravi mm. varma who is an artist because those images has been passed on to us we believe that this is actually a person who is lying on a on a serpent or this is actually a person who is sitting on a lotus and having the four heads somehow we miss the subtle aspect or the essence which is being tried to be conveyed in this imagery and uh, you know these are these subtle points in the ramakatha which probably we all have to go and uh, maybe by listening to a discussion like this we might not be able to go on all this dear listeners it is time for the afternoon satsang to come to a close but for the next fortnight we have something exciting i mean for the next fortnight of the ramakatha because that is the time when a very very interesting episode takes place which is insightful as always humorous also the episode where shurpanakha the sister of ravana comes and tries to win the hand of either lakshmana or rama whichever is available without much fuss what happens of course most of us might know but it's very interesting to see the way swami has written it we will be going into that during the next fortnight of the ramkatara savahini offering this satsang at the lotus feet of our beloved swami praying to him to forgive us for any lapses that we often make and expressing our gratitude to him for giving us this opportunity to be his instruments at his very own radio station which is the center of our spiritual world at radio sai we will now conclude with this bhajan thank you jai sai ram lakshmana sevita दशरथ नंदन दशरथ नंदन रघुवर जननी जान के जननी जान के
episode of our radio program Afternoon Satsang. This was a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live hosted by Prem and Arvind at 12.30 p.m. Indian Standard Time on Thursdays only on Asia stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony. The discussion was on Ramakathara Savahini, a book written by Swami and today's episode was first broadcast live on 11th June 2015. Dear listener, we hope you like this program as always you can send us your feedback to listener at radiosci.org you could also whatsapp us your feedback to this number 9393258258 
Thank you and Sairam.